And welcome to The Dark Word. As always, I'm your host, Philip Fercasi, and I got a special treat for you guys today. A little bit off the beaten path of my usual author guest. Um, today, we are going to be chatting with uh, Josh Rubin. Josh Rubin is an award-winning actor, writer, director, whose feature film, Scare Me, which he wrote, directed, and starred alongside Aya Cash and Chris Redd, debuted at the 2020 Sundance Film Festival. Shudder, AMC's horror platform, bought the feature in advance of the festival premiere. For television, Josh directed sketches of The Late Late Show with James Corden and episodes of True TV's Adam Ruins Everything. As one of the founding members of College Humor's Originals Department, Ruben has directed and or starred in thousands of comedic shorts, amassing views well into the billions. His second feature, Werewolves Within, premiered at the 2021 Tribeca Film Festival and is distributed by IFC Films and won the Hollywood Critics Association Mid-Season Award for Best Indie. Ruben recently produced Blood Relatives, a genre road trip dramedy, and currently stars in Travis Stevens' feature film, A Wounded Fawn, which premiered at the 2022 Tribeca Film Festival and is now, right now, streaming exclusively on Shudder. Josh Rubin, welcome, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. Holy moly. I feel like Nathan Ballingred over here. I feel like a genre master with the honor of being on the dark word. That's, that's, I'm so stoked to talk to you about all this. Yeah, because, you know, obviously, yeah, we normally have uh, fiction writers, genre writers. We talk about, you know, mystery writers. We talk about uh, the, the, the business of writing. But I hadn't had any um, screenwriters, and, and, and I really wanted to have somebody uh, come on and, and sort of talk – you know, about that side of things. And, 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 um, I thought you'd be a perfect, a f- perfect fit. Cause I know you're a horror fan. I know you read a lot of horror fiction. Um, yeah. and, and, and you and I've chatted about all this stuff before. So I, let's start by going into, cause I think what a lot of, um, potential screenwriters, uh, I think the big question is how do you get your break? How do you get your break? And, and it, and I feel like it's, it's changed a lot. And I want to get into that a little bit, but can you talk a little bit about your very stark side? You maybe get into the college humor days, but how did you um, first fall in love with the, with the art of screenwriting? You know, and it, was that something that came uh, from acting or was it the acting that came from screenwriting or how did that, how did you get started? Uh, yeah. So I, I got my start, um, you know, having been someone who's a fan of horror before comedy, uh, I always knew I wanted to make horror eventually, but my, you know, my professional starts was making comedy videos with my buddies. So my parents got me a camcorder for high school graduation. I took that to New York City when I went to acting school. Um, I went to a two-year acting training program that no longer exists, actually founded by Mike Nichols, um, who is one of my uh, actor masking class. Uh, actor, my master class instructors at the time, which is sort of wild. It was back when he was shooting uh, Angels in America. And around that that kind of um, mildly affordable time as a 19-year-old living in, in Chelsea, New York, um, just after 9-11, I started making these sort of videos with my buddy Sam Reich. And we formed a sketch group. And um, that sketch group uh, became a you know quite popular. We were called Dutch West and College Humor, uh, the comedy website that now has sort of morphed into into a platform called Dropout that I still do stuff for. They uh, they sort of took a liking to us and they said, "Hey, why don't you guys make videos for us the way you're making them for your own sort of endeavor?" And um, that's how we formed the what was called the College Humor Originals Department. Um, and it was just what that's kickstarted a seven year career of not just acting in essentially sketches, um, video sketch, uh, but also producing them and directing them and writing them. And it's just crazy because that's, that was an era that no longer really exists anymore. So I was, I'm so grateful that I got to, I got to have a essentially a seven year desk job doing an internet, um, SNL digital shorts kind of a uh, kind of a jaunt um, until uh, I left to pursue commercials and um, that led me into my first film and and now now I'm here on the dark word yeah so <clears throat> so that's interesting so because one of the things that I was one of the things that I was going to ask you about is because I know you did get your start doing those 
those uh, video shorts and, you know, writing for those and doing basically, you know, being everything but the janitor and then, and even then <laughs> sometimes that, right, is, because um, <clears throat> it seems to me historically, you know, because I've had my screenwriting career coming, you know, ebb and flow and it's, it's, it seems like there's a lot of screenwriters who are like, enter it and in, enter into it like, well, I'm going to write a screenplay from like for me, for spec, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to, you know, uh, send it out to all these contests or blacklist or whatever and hope that somebody, you know, try and win something. And then maybe if I win something, then maybe I'll get an agent. Then maybe if I get an agent, mm-hmm. then maybe I'll write. Like it just seemed, it just seemed like such an incredible long shot. And, yeah. um, and then there seemed to be an era where it was like, no, dude, just go make. Just go make your movie. Go make a five-minute movie. Go make a 10-minute movie yeah. and start to get your attention that way. So do you feel like that is – what do you feel that like the current market is like? If you were just starting out in screenwriting now, what would you tell yourself? Write a spec and go out there and shake the bushes or or go online and make a, make a couple shorts? I think it's the short route. Um, it's, it's kind of spec no matter what, but um, – if you can write the five-minute thing, like take Parker J. Finn's Laura Hasn't Slept, uh, which then became Smile for Paramount, you know, mm. was, of course, both the writer and the director at that point. But if you can write something that's five minutes or three pages and give it to a director buddy or, hell, direct it yourself with, you know, your iPhone. And I know it's kind of trite to say that um, and seem sort of annoying at this point. Well, yeah, okay, I shoot it on your iPhone. It's fine. But, you know... The visuals almost don't matter. There are so many things that are so compelling um, that are all in character dynamic and interaction. And I think if you're a writer and you just have a scene in your your the room you rent uh, within your apartment, or if you're lucky enough to have you know have your entire place, it becomes the film set. Um, that is one of the best kind of things you can do, and you can do several of them. You could do an entire web series with just your phone and a couple of friends now. That's just the era that we live in, whereas, you know, years ago, we had to get, a you know, an HBX, uh, um, essentially, camera and uh, edit it and, um, you know, upload it to QuickTime and get it on YouTube, uh, even though we started making videos before YouTube. It's a way better era now, but there's a lot of saturation. So I feel like the best thing you can kind of do is just continue the output, just as much output as you possibly can. I think that's that's way more the move. There's also stuff like Substack. I haven't fucked around with that at all. There's also, you know, you can you can uh, Instagram or Tumble um, uh, segments or excerpts of your writing um, and attempt to do that sort of thing. But everybody responds to, to content. And people are watching, I mean, from agencies to Paramount. There are people who are looking out for shorts. There are people who are looking out for a compelling interaction or compelling character or piece. Um, and and uh, and that's with the hopes of building it out to be a bigger thing. So I would absolutely tell anyone who wants to write to, you know, I mean, hell, write a, write a monologue and shoot your friend doing it. Um, yeah, I was about yeah. to say, write a, write a great scene, you know. Yeah, almost. absolutely. Just a scene. It doesn't have to cost anything. It's just, you know, getting it on your iPhone. Shoot it in order. You know, you could shoot the edit. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that, um, uh, you know, it, it's such a – it's so much like the publishing uh, – how the mo- publishing model has changed. It, in a lot of ways, the movie model has changed along with it because to your point, it's um, – on one hand, it's – you know, technology is amazing and the internet's amazing because now we have all these, it's so much easier to get your content out there and to get out, to get it out there to everybody, you know, potentially. And like with writing, it's like, okay, well, if you want to self-publish, self-publish, it's really, really easy. Um, but, but there's also, you know, a kajillion other authors who are doing the same thing. It's hard to get noticed and get traction. And I assume it's probably the same thing if you're a new writer and or filmmaker or screenwriter it's like yeah you can get it out there but it's got to be quality right and it's got to be something that gets gets attention it does and the only way it's going to be quality and the only way it's going to get attention is um sticking with it it's consistent perseverance yeah it really is it's perseverance and I, i'm sure you you know you can certainly speak to this starting 
from, you know, vocational specking hobby into career, into career struggle. And then suddenly Stephen King goes, I'll buy it, you know, right. that, and, that, and that changes things and there becomes momentum. And that is surely as a result of, um, surely result of that perseverance. I mean, that, that, and that's happening with me, you know, on the acting side, you could look at someone like Aubrey Plaza and go, why is she having a moment now? being on a show like White Lotus, where she's brilliant, when she's been on Parks and Rec for years, when she's done Jeff Bainham movies for years, when she's done Little Demon on FXX, when she's done sketches, when, you know, it's like there, there are people who've been around for a long time, you know, Jennifer Coolidge included, if you're to use that, you know, continue using that show as an option. Um, but uh, it's that perseverance and then finally having a vehicle that can really show you do your thing. Um, that's when it... Uh, that's when things catch fire. There was someone who said the other day, I can't remember who it was, um, we're so much about uh, an artist's work. Maybe it was Sarah Lynn who were doing a Wounded Fawn um, kind of uh, a press tour, I think. She, was, she said something to the effect of, you know, so much of an artist's career is going, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at this, look at this, right. look, at, look, look at this. But it, it's when someone else goes, wow, look at this artist. Right. Wow, you have to you have to see this. Where then everybody starts to go, oh shit, and that is can only happen with perseverance. You know, I feel like Cargill talks about this. You know, Robert Cargill, screenwriter. Yeah. Hey, you got to spec, and when you're done specking, you got to go back in and spec it again. You send it out into the world, and you wait. And so that happened with Zach Greger and Barbarian. He followed his fingers. He wrote this insane idea just for him. He threw it out there. He thought no one would ever make it. He waited a year or so before he got the phone call, and then even those phone calls sort of hit dead ends. And one day, you know, one of the biggest horror producers, Rory Lee, called and said, "Hey, I think this is fucking genius." Yeah, um, and that's all persevering. Yeah, and it's you know, I wonder if this is just my perspective because it's the world I live in. But I'm, I'm curious to get your take on it. Do you feel like horror is has more opportunities than than other? Uh, genres when it comes to uh, filmmaking, screen, you know, just in today's world, it just it just feels to me like it's so cheap to make horror, and it it's such it's such a lucrative uh, opportunity. Each movie is a potential hit. You know, I think Jason Blum learned this lesson a decade ago. Do you feel there's more opportunities for horror than there, than other genres right now when it comes to like mass media streaming and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, and I, I want to say a piece of that as a testament to the, the dark kind of times we're in, and we mm -hmm. have an eagerness to see protagonists survive impossible, horrific situations, and so there's a bit of a catharsis there. But you know, on the flip side of that, there's almost this need for the drug of seeing people suffer and through <laughs> almost a, a fun kind of wink. I mean, you're seeing that in the killer clown movie Terrifier, not one, but two. Right. Breaking box office records shot for 250 grand and making, you know, clear 10 million. Um, I think there's something, you know, horror can probably uh, uh, will sustain in popularity, but especially in these kind of darker, more frustrating times, the reason why I think audiences are, you know, going to consistently flock to them um, is, again, I think because we see protagonists survive in possible situations, number one. But number two, yeah, I think there's so much opportunity. You can apply genre to almost any sort of um, – you can mash horror with any genre. You want an adventure story like Sugarland Express, but what if it was a horror? You right. want a family story like Little Miss Sunshine, but what if you added a, genre, a horror genre element? Um, there's so much opportunity just in, in um, you know, sure, the financial success of that. But, uh, but also just, I don't know, the fantastical possibilities of it. And that's why it's such an exciting endeavor. And it's why my first film was, you know, I guess you could say it was a horror film and why it was horror skewing is because I know, you know, even if this thing sucks, let me just take the swing. And I love horror anyway, but horror finds a way. Um, uh, horror fans find a way to find new horror, just like, you know, comic book freaks find their way to find like the underground shit. Yeah, let me let's go back to your to your first one. I'm 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 not sure if you're referring to Scare Me or Cabin, but Cabin <clears throat> was the first film. Cabin I watched after I had seen Werewolves Within a wow. few times. Wow, that's a deep cut, Cabin. <laughs> <laughs> not many. No one's mentioned my short film. Wow, really? It's great. Yeah. 
And you now correct me if I'm wrong. You wrote it and you starred in it, but you didn't direct it. Is that right? Correct. It was actually directed and shot by the cinematographer of Scare Me, Brendan Banks. Um, and uh, we had our arrangement was, hey, let's just make something. Mm. And I said, what if I wrote it and starred in it, and you shoot it and you direct it? We're like, great. We can scratch each other's backs because no one else has given us a chance to do the narrative thing. And right. we put a little bit of money into it. And yeah, yeah, that was that was kind of. I think I saw Insidious because I remember wanting to uh, utilize shooting an empty corner and making it feel ominous. Um, but, yeah, uh, yeah. Cabin was was my. I guess you could say my first kind of venture into you know narrative territory, at least narrative horror territory. Yeah. So then that was not a. I'm trying to remember. That was not a. Sh- I mean, it was a short, obviously, but it wasn't yeah. a short short. It was like 15 minutes, maybe. I think so. Right I around there. It's been a while since I've seen it, but yeah, yeah. Oh, you don't watch it every night to put yourself to sleep, <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Oh, I honey, do. put cabin in for me again, will you? Have I seen it? You know, but there I am. There I am. There's Josh. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about scare me because this was uh, such a kind of, in a lot of ways, sort of an earth shattering movie. Um, you know, especially in uh, the horror field, it became a real darling. I mean, everyone I know was talking about it. And um, uh, and then you and I met because you did end up doing werewolves and all that. But but so let's talk about the writing of Scare Me because um, it's such an interesting premise, which is that it is based so largely on the imagination and yeah. the and the dialogue. Um, you know, every there, you know, there aren't really a lot of, um, there is uh, tension, but not necessarily the danger is more, uh, is more is psychological. So first of all, can you talk a little bit about, was that your first feature length screenplay? No, I'd actually, by the time I wrote scare me, I'd written, I want to say three or four scripts, okay. uh, three or four screenplays. Uh, one of which is one of which at the very least was absolute garbage, uh, mm. which they all have to be. Our first thing can't be great. It was some called something like you should date, you know, about a, a white 20 something dating girls in New York, like as if we haven't cracked that one before. Um, and, uh, by the time I, uh, by the time I, I was like, I've got to just write a thing to make a thing. It was in that kind of valuable, uh, vulnerable place. I feel like we, we've all been in when we just take a risk that turns out to be that magical career changing moment because you're writing from a, it's that perfect storm of you're writing from a place of vulnerability, but also societally, there's this sort of thing going on. And um, the third kind of, you know, element of that storm for me was reading Mark and J.B. Plosse's book, Like Brothers, which is sort of a motivational handbook for filmmakers. Hey, just go out and write your movie. And going back to my kind of film roots, you know, I, I started in sort of Duplassian roots with college humor, even before college humor, making my own shit. So by the time I sat down to write Scare Me, I went, oh, my God, I'm, you know what? I'm, I know I'm going to make this. It's almost like I'm, I'm going to will this thing to life. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was that perfect storm that made the thing happen, writing to your resources, knowing it wasn't going to cost any money, that it was going to be a a, 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 a a showcase for these actors, and that it was going to say something, too. That was that was valuable. I've, I've realized that part of the invaluable thing is you have to write angry, or at least write from a place where, of emotion where you're, you know specifically what you're saying, even if you're not nailing, you know, theme or even your messaging it's i i'm i'm impassioned writing about this and it's not just gimmick but gimmick was indeed a part of it yeah that's such a great tip the writing angry thing and i hesitate to always tell that to writers but Mm -hmm. but it's such a truism which is like you know i always i you know whenever i talk about it with other writers i'm like i'm like the hulk at the end of the avengers my secret is that i'm always angry and that's kind of like my thing with writing is I, i I definitely write with a chip on my shoulder. You know, I, I remember every rejection. I remember every, uh, you know, every, everyone that said I was lousy or that I want to do it. And, and I do write angry. And I think it's interesting. And, you know, I was talking to, when you were, when you were just answering that question, it made me think of a Catriona Ward who wrote a wonderful book called The Last House on Needless Street, which was a huge international bestseller. And mm. she was talking about how she had read, uh, her first two books were um, kind of traditional gothics. 
and they did okay, but not great. And and then Needless Street came out and was this monster hit. And now her now her now her earlier books are being reissued. Um, and but what's interesting about it, what ties it to what you were saying, is she was like, I got to a point where I was kind of like, fuck it, I'm gonna write. Yes, I'm gonna write something from the hip. I'm gonna write it. I'm gonna write something crazy. I'm gonna write angry. I'm just gonna like write this crazy bat shit off the wall thing yeah. because I have nothing to lose at this point. And that ended up becoming easily, I mean, by, you know, by a long shot, her biggest, her biggest hit. And, and now she's a superstar. And I, and it reminded me of what you were saying is you have to just kind of like write for yourself, right? Yeah. Cause that's really, you know, it's, it's weird because chasing trends doesn't do it, man. It's like, it never, it's, there's a, people know when you're passionate, I think. You know, people know, people know. Zach Craker did it with Barbarian. He would, he talks about it. He said, I was in my garage and I would just, I'm, and he said, I'm writing for myself. I'm yeah. just going to stay up late and write for myself. Um, uh, uh, you could, you could match the same kind of process to even Steve Jobs saying, you know what? I'm just going to make this thing in my garage. Um, you can match the same kind of thing for Jordan Peele saying, I'm just going to try writing this thing and I don't even know if it's ever going to get made or whatever it is. And, and even the Duplass brothers, they talk about, you know, they were actually rejected from Sundance or rejected maybe from several um, film festivals for some expensive short comparative. To, uh, oh, wait, let me just make sure my, my Alexa isn't screaming. My uh, Alexa was reminding me that it was time to feed my cat. Um, <laughs> bed. You uh, mean your cat doesn't remind you when it's time to feed your cat? <laughs> well, she, sometimes she will. She'll, she'll bonk <laughs> against our leg and, and shriek. Right. Um, but the Duplass has talked about you know being rejected from a film festival after making a short film that cost him a bunch of money. It was so, such a labor of love and super involved. And um, being rejected from one after the other. And, and, and I think it was like Mark that was like, fuck it, just shoot me uh, doing this improv. And Jay picks up the camera and shoots Mark uh, replaying this voicemail and reacting to the, or sorry, leaving a voicemail uh -huh. um, and fucking up the voicemail and having to try it again. And it became, I think it might even be called voicemail. And he left like 20 of them and it, and it was just a bunch of jump cuts. And they, they, they were like, we're just going to make this thing and say, fuck it. We're going to submit it. And they ended up submitting it. And that became the thing that got them into their first festival. And how crazy is that, that they yeah. shot from the hip? It's like this continuous thing. I don't know what it is. It's like you can't chase gimmick. You can't chase trends. You have to just shoot from the hip. And I think that's what all artists are kind of chasing. It's like when Shyamalan was at one point the hottest you know, director – and then went, and then after you know, kind of, you know, a box office failure after failure goes. You know what? I'm just going to make the visit. I'm going to I'm going to try this smaller thing, and yeah. it goes back to his roots in a way. And in writing, I think I'm sure you know you you would know more than I would. There are authors that say, you know what? I'm just going to go back to the basics after whatever selling out, chasing trends, always writing about a certain kind of monster or ghost or whatever it is. I'm just going to write something about divorce. Or about something in you know in the in the zeitgeist, um, and then what happens? They just they explode again. You know, musicians, same shit. Yeah, I think what happens is you get a little bit of success, and doors open, and you realize, oh, all of a sudden I'm not doing this in you know in my hot office, tiny little hot office, you know, in my underwear. I'm doing it, you know, hoping that maybe somebody reads it. I actually have like this, you know contract with this distributor or publisher and it changed all of a sudden your you your mind changes all of a sudden you yes. feel like oh well i can't do what i've been doing because that's just me being crazy <laughs> i have to do something like professional and mainstream because now i'm being paid all this money to do it and i think that's such and i think that's such an erroneous way of thinking because what you did is what got you there yeah, I agree. Um, so Scare Me came out, and then you've written – so that was a feature. You've written a bazillion shorts. Um, I know you've tried your hand or, or – or, and I only know this because you, you mentioned it in an interview we did a couple of years ago. 
where you, I know you've had some um, experimentation on the TV episodic side. Mm-hmm. Um, what is just for screenwriters out there who maybe haven't done these three things, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot. Like how do you approach shorts? How do you approach features and how do you approach episodic television as a writer? Do you think about them completely differently or is it just time? Is there a way, can you talk a little bit about that for someone who maybe hasn't written in those formats? Well, episodic television, um, I've only had a, little bit of experience in just in terms of a writer like for Adam ruins everything or obviously court and stuff um even for broad cities christmas special which was you know something i did years ago with a directing partner those scripts come to you those those kind of are what they are and then you as a director you make it better with pitches and here's a joke to kind of push this a little bit further this that and the other thing and i know that in the episodic world the writer is often you know king or queen ruler of all and the director you know can be a bit of a a bit of a puppet um, right right uh, you know here it's just one to say here's where the camera goes and to take the thing on technically and to, to kind of be at the the writer's uh yeah, the, the writer's there's wheel. a reason there's a reason they call the writer the main writer the showrunner on TV and TV. That's that's correct, and that's yeah. also, that's also the thing that terrifies me about TV. But there are certain showrunners out there, certain shows that um, want a, a director or recognize a sensibility in a director to to come to the table with with their sensibility and their style. And go, oh, I know that matches our thing, and I know they can kind of get it done. There's like rare occasions, like I know I know an insecure. Issa Rae was super keen on hiring directors where she was like, oh, no, I just wanted folks to do their thing because I know they were good. But that's mm-hmm. not the case if I was to go and direct an episode of Mr. Mayor, you know. Um, so <clears throat> on the rare occasion I've had an episodic, I did at one point have a pilot or sort of a pilot presentation that I did write um, and got that up off the ground. And, you know, you, you, you want to avoid, I think, a really good piece of advice in regards to pilots and maybe it was Randall Winston um, who mentioned this. Uh, uh, maybe, I can't remember who it was who said, you know, most people, most writers sort of fail at the pilot by making the pilot the first act of a movie, or treating mm. the pilot like the first act of a movie where you really just have to kind of balance, create that delicate balance of introducing characters and planting seeds in kind of a compelling way. Um, the pilot process for me, at least when I had one that actually picked up momentum and when we had people interested was really frustrating and took a long time and we brought in other you know, folks to be potential showrunners on the thing at the time. And uh, it was really, really laborious. I bet if I, if I took a swing now I, with as little education as I have about that world, I could probably quote unquote feel what the pilot would be, but I don't think technically – from my lack of education in that world, I, 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 I would quite know entirely what I was doing or feel as comfortable um, opposed to, say, doing a film where I've watched so many um, mm. and can sort of go, hey, I know how to put my character in a tree and throw rocks at them and see how they get out of that scenario you know, with a beginning, middle, and end kind of psychic flashes in mind. So episodic, I know I, I can offer less advice on that opposed to um, you know, features where, you know, that process is, is, um, is, is awesome. Although I, um, I don't often, I haven't often outlined like what scare me. I did know that, um, in the writing angry of it all, that the one thing, the overarching thing that go, was going to be happen happening in the film was what was my engine in writing it, which was this is a relationship, a gender dynamic about an emasculated male who gradually grows, uh, uh, who gradually shrinks throughout this film in the shadow of a woman's genius. Mm-hmm. And this is about the, the intergender competition, which is a really exciting topic not many people had ever kind of you know explored before. So you have that kind, I look at it like in, in, in layers, you have to know what that kind of overarching story is and where those characters are going to go throughout that. But you also have to have um, something more global, which is your, in this instance, it was the style, the, the, the storytelling gimmick, um, which you could say is the kind of, um, uh, I don't know, that you could say is the, the, the more, more plot 
uh, more of a plot device. You kind of go, yes, but this is also as a movie, it's going to be a composer's movie. It's going to be a sound designer's movie. It's mm. going to be a, a horror movie. Um, so I don't know if I'm, I'm quite answering your question in this regard, but I, I could kind of feel what the movie is, is, is going to be and what the kind of layers of it are, like rather than dissecting it in a kind of McKee sort of way, I go, I know it's about this. This is what the heart of it is and why I'm writing angry. This is the engine of the entire thing. But I also, here's my comp, here's my North Star. I want it to feel like whatever, a Duplassian uh, a horror film that has this gimmick and this is, you know, they're going to be telling stories. So you have to bring in that layer. Mm-hmm. And then the third layer of it is this other thing. And then with shorts is, shorts is all, is all concept. It's almost like uh, um, you do, you do want to tr- sort of treat it with a, 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 th- a three-act structure. It does have a beginning, middle, and end. But it, but it can also be, you know, um, uh, as short as a joke or a jump scare, you're, it's set up and pay off. So um, it could be as uh, as compelling as a tableau or as an image that has some kind of light stimming um, sort of ending to it or finale to it, or it can just be you know one quick scene where you reveal something ideally surprising, a punch in the face kind of reveal. You want to leave someone feeling something in a short. And that's super exciting, especially if you can challenge yourself as a writer to do that in five pages. Um, and I, yeah. I, I love the Duplass's advice, you know, just in terms of the like brothers of it all, where they kind of go, what is that specific thing that stinks of you? That thing where you, you're staying up late, giggling with your buddies with a couple beers and you're talking about that very, very specific thing that no one else knows except for you, whether it's a story or a kind of energy or vibe. Um, or, or, or quirk that, you know, you might have either, you know, between you and a, and a buddy or a lover, um, or just, uh, in, in terms of, I don't know, your own personality, which is, which is what I brought to scare me as well, that you call it another layer. Yeah. I think that's really fascinating, man. I, 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 I shooting as a concept is such an interesting way to put that for the shorts. And you mentioned earlier when you're talking about writing a feature, it's like, um, because you're an actor and because you're a producer and because you're a director, you have a very good idea of what costs money, what, you know, what doesn't cost money, what's doable, what's not doable um, for, for a moderately priced script or an indie price script. And I think that's something that also a lot of screenwriters, um, I don't know if there's like a resource out there for this kind of thing, but because mm-hmm. I've worked in film and TV for 20 plus years and you've been doing it for a long time. And it's like, you just kind of know, like working in locations, I know how much it costs to go someplace. I know mm-hmm. not to have a car crash. I know not to have an explosion. Um, but but I think it's interesting that as a writer, you do want to keep in mind that, you know, to, you want to always keep your budget in mind as you're writing, right? And and I think focusing on um, on the theme being like, okay, well, it's about relationship, but then my, my, my quirk is that it's a horror script that's all about storytelling. I think that's like there's there's such creative ways you can do stuff without having the big budget, you know, two thousand extras in a you know football stadium. That's right. I will say for anybody out there just like specking, like do not disregard or moot your dreams. Don't dim your light. Like shoot for the stars. Dream big. Do the two thousand people in the stadium or thirty thousand people in the stadium. Um, scenario don't necessarily you do not have to write with budget in mind where you do have to write with budget in mind is you're you know if you're going to go i want to write a short that i'm going to make then you have to consider how big the scope is going to be limited to just your porch your patio your backyard your living room um uh, that's when you should keep budget in mind when you know you're going to make the thing with scare me i knew i wanted it to be like a play which mm-hmm. i do want to adapt it for the stage someday it's four characters it's very dialogue driven there's a cool kind of visual dynamic to it um and it can all be in a house you know you don't even need the car scene in the beginning we, we could have done that truly all in a house you could have started with the guy walking in with the groceries um so uh uh, shoot for the stars, I think, when you're specking, you know, without budget in mind. But yes, you know, if, if, if you are, if you are going to write something, you know, to, 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 to take a swing um, at product, then yes, you definitely want to keep budget in mind. But otherwise, just like, just go for it. Just, you know, 
Polar Express Fury Road it up. Right. That's interesting. I, yeah. See, I wouldn't have, I would have thought the opposite. So that's interesting. I'm glad you said that because I, you know, if I was t- advising a screenwriter, I probably would say like, you, you know, it would worry me that a producer would look at your script and go like, this person has no idea what it takes to make a movie. But I, I but I'm not really a spec screenwriter. So I've never had that kind of experience. So it's interesting that you feel like creativity should come first. And then if you actually get like to a nuts and bolts situation where you're like, well, look, I have to make this movie then you kind of start worrying about that stuff. I was thinking about, um, when you were talking, I was thinking about Mike Flanagan's first movie, uh, who, which he shot in his apartment. Um, yeah. And, right, in his house in the valley. Um, and, you know, even the Duplass, you mentioned the Duplass brothers a few times, and even their movie, um, what was the what was the one with the wolf mask? Freak? What was oh, it? Creep. Yeah, Creep, Creep, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of shot in like a sort of found that really found foot sort of a found footage style i guess yeah. but yeah docu yeah docu style yeah but man what a genius movie with doing so much with so little and i think it comes back to your like kind of you didn't i don't want to put you didn't say hook but it kind of comes back to your sort of like like your hook like in cabin you know you had that idea of like what's it there were the kind of these like long shots where they're just like the camera's focused on like an empty corner of, of a ceiling right and just like the, it's sort of terrifying in a weird way and and in and in creep like the whole thing with like the wolf mask and him just being like sort of like a little bit off and and yeah. and uh the docu style that i was really and him being so f- funny yes but terrifyingly so yeah. is was so genius um so one thing i wanted to touch on quick before we run out of time because i think it was we've, you and i talked about this a little bit um quote unquote off camera but was i think what was really cool about werewolves within which was written by i'm th- pretty Mish- mishma wolf yeah mishna wolf yeah mishna wolf yeah um and a wonderful film beautifully written beautifully directed wonderfully acted probably one of my favorite films of the last five years and um but one of the things that i thought was really fascinating about that movie because i had the opportunity to see so many different iterations of the movie because um disclaimer my wife works for the company that produced it so i i, I saw like those early cuts and that later and I, the final theatrical and was the amount so t- this is what i this is this is my question because when i wrote um a lifetime movie i was really surprised at how much writing i was doing on set uh you know i was there every day in minnesota we were rewriting on the fly new pages were coming out every day and i don't think that's unusual we both know having worked in production that's pretty common but from a writer perspective, not having written the script, obviously with werewolves, and maybe this even happened a little bit and scare me, but the how much of the writing, quote unquote, takes place on the day, you know, with the actors when you're like, okay, where maybe they have suggestions, or maybe you have a different thought, or maybe the location is opening up an idea. How much of that do you feel happens organically or, or on the day might be a better way to put it, versus like what's in the script? That's a great, that's a great question. Um, if the script is great, it, 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 it will still happen, but it won't, uh, it won't kind of happen in a, in a deluge. If you're a good prepping director, that sort of thing will happen before you get to set, or at least you will plant the seed with your actors or your actors will plant the seed with you. Hey, I want to change some dialogue around. Or what do you think about, you know, when we get to the scene, I'm going to want to play around or, you know, and I'm not super comfortable with X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. You have to get the sense or you should archive or Rolodex. What, what folks are, are, perhaps not a hundred percent aboard for, or will want to play with, um, and just be kind of ready for it. Uh, on bigger budget stuff, I, this shit happens all the time. I mean, there's, uh, there's an infamous kind of tale about John Favreau's Iron Man where they didn't have a script and where Jeff Bridges was kind of like, you know, uh, we were there just kind of figuring it out on the fly and Downey, mm-hmm. Junior and Favreau were just kind of, you know, improvising and kind of going with it. I, I don't even know how that happens. I can't fathom that because I want to focus on the visuals and I want to focus on the performance. Now, in that case, I haven't worked with an Iron Man budget, but I'm sure on a budget like that, you could take the time to, you know, stop down for an hour or three 
yeah. um, and rewrite a whole bunch and then go back to your crew and say, here's what we're doing. And my guess is that <clears throat> even on the big budget things, you're not going to say, well, we have to, we have to now make this, uh, this scene about a golden Ferrari. Someone's got to go find the golden Ferrari and bring it here. I feel like on a total maniac set that might happen. Yeah. Um, but uh, otherwise, you know, folks might get there and sort of rearrange it. If you're good and if you prep in advance and you're with it and your movie stars with it, um, you will nip that shit in the bud. I really want to develop a career or situation where we avoid that stuff. I can't imagine developing too much on the fly beyond, beyond just allowing for discovery and supporting discovery. Now, on, on smaller movies, you, you really don't have time to rewrite, <clears throat> but you, uh, you know, like for Scare Me, a lot of people asked if the movie was improvised, and it wasn't. Um, every word was scripted, but Aria mm. and Chris and Becky, they took liberties with another dialogue, because why not? You're getting paid peanuts. Um, we just have to wrap this thing in 13 days, whatever it is. Um, you have to be open and nimble with uh, with people in that regard and make it worth their while to try stuff. But you really want to be prepped. You want to be over prepped for that scenario because you truly don't even have the budget to um, to rewrite on the fly. Uh, but um, it's it, the whole the whole thing is about um, is about uh, is about prep. Um, I I've, I haven't been in too many scenarios where we have to you know, figure too much stuff, um, you know, at the start of the day because someone wasn't vibing with it. You know, that someone not vibing with it or whatever is a phone call that should have happened two, three weeks before, in my opinion. Yeah, I I, I remember one sort of infamous day of, when I was um, on the set of that movie, I wrote Girl Missing, and, and we went up to the, there's a scene in a bedroom, and we went up to the bedroom to look, scout it, before we shot and the director's like, Oh man, look at the way these doors open. This is so cool. Like it's so weird. Right. <laughs> and he's like, Philip, let's write in, let's write in these doors. Like let's have it a weird, scary, like review. And so it was because of the doors, we ended up rewriting this whole scene because the doors open in a weird way. Mm. And, and that was a very low budget film. So it was just kind of like, it was all fast and dirty, but so it was scaring me. Yeah. So you pretty much, cause that seems, I would have thought the opposite. I would have thought like that movie was very, I would have thought that movie was very true to the script because it's because it, so much of it was monologue and um, storytelling that you, you know there's only so much you can wiggle around with story you know with the stories that you wrote. But there, there, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I let the actors take liberties. You know, I never pounced on anyone for their ums and uhs. Sure, um, but the but the monologues and everything. I mean, they they had to take liberty with. There's only so much time, only so much rehearsal you can kind of build in. But we really couldn't get into a scenario when we got there. Where we were like, oh, we have to figure this out. Now I will say, you know, because of the wild schedule that you know, Aya worked nine days of the thirteen or twelve that we shot. Mm -hmm. um, so there were days where I was acting just with myself and my wife was reading off camera, mm -hmm. um, I as lines and we'd have to go, okay, now I know at some point we're going to need this piece. Let's fly to this moment. Actually, this might be, you know, there's a little bit of wiggle room for me to quickly experiment with X, Y, or Z shot, um, uh, or, you know, find a moment for us to, you know, laugh like the crypt keeper for 10 more seconds as opposed to, you know, not at all or whatever it is. You have to allow for those those discoveries but, yeah um what would what what a tragedy it would be if you got there and you didn't have time for you know many more discoveries off shooting the original idea original script original heart of it and you were too focused on you know rewriting an entire scene because someone suddenly decided that um you know some bit of dialogue didn't didn't quite make sense i had to do that one swath of 30 minutes on werewolves within where there was a logic question and mm. so i remember there was another actor that spoke up and was like it's a werewolf movie there was a logic in there even being werewolves and you know the other actors like, oh yeah no good point why yeah. am i worrying about logic with this when this is you know this is a car you know, whatever a cartoon movie a, a tales in the crypt tale you know whatever. right yeah it's a, the, i think mark uh hamill had a funny, I don't remember the anecdote, but I remember him talking about how he was on set of Star Wars and 
the costume was wrong or something. And Harrison Ford was like, this ain't that kind of movie kid, you know, like we're, yeah, we're right. don't worry about your, if they were looking at your wardrobe, then we're, we're all, we're doing something wrong. That's um, right. That's exactly right. Uh, so before we wrap up, cause I, I do want to talk to you quickly about reading horror, because I know you're a big horror reader. Um, and, and, and I, you know, you said things in interviews where you like to read and it kind of keep your mind sharp. Um, do you find a lot of, do you read a lot of like, um, scripts do you read a lot of fiction what do you read to kind of get you in the right headspace when you're you know when you want to come up with ideas or when you have when you're writing something new that's a great question you know i, I because so much of my day or days recently in the past few months has been sort of provisorial whether producing for other filmmakers or trying to figure out you know like pitch decks and stuff there's not a there's creativity in that but there's not enough like um, filling up the tank uh, yeah. Going back to the stories of Clive Barker, reading, you know, Nathan Ballinger is one of my new favorite authors, like reading his stuff for Caitlin Kiernan or Phil Fricasti, you know, just reading stuff that could, will fill up the tank. Um, uh, I will, um, I will read a lot of scripts, but I'll make it 10 or 20 pages, not even to 20 before I know it's not right. Mm. You'll know in 10 pages if it's even worth uh rewriting um which i did for one script that i turned down as soon as they said uh you know before before they very quickly said well what if you just rewrote it i just kind of took a gamble on telling them no until they said why don't you make it your own and i said yes um i do read a lot of scripts and it's kind of it's sort of wild not many of them are great um i feel like almost for me i'm i'm an easy one like i read a lot of nonfiction too like right now i'm reading stephen king's dance macabre which Mm -hmm. is essentially his like dissertation on horror in like the 80s just because it's like just reading any kind of prose i feel like is valuable but then there's kind of an educational element to it i get you know there's some references in there it's like oh i should read the elements of style Mm-hmm. Um, I probably should understand what, you know, uh, this book that a character is referring to is, or I keep, I finally keep a list of vocabulary, terms of phrase, prose, and, you know, fun words. Um, and I'll find that too in certain, um, certain books, like, you know, Tom Perota uses incredible turns of phrase mm-hmm. and I will write down, or, or I finally read ghost story and you read Peter Straub and you're like, holy shit, you know. Like a like a oh gosh I have so many turns of phrase from from Ghost Story that were just so so beautiful like you know like strolling towards uh, the castle a dead princess or you know whatever this kind of language that just kind of creates this imagery in your head um, so uh, but yeah I love reading genre um, and uh, to get into the headspace you know if I'm actually actively on a on a project I'll just read the script again and again and again and again until I you know uh, I'll never know it like the back of my hand but you can never know it well enough yes yeah that's that's yeah that's really fascinating the turn of phrase thing yeah it's 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 amazing how much um how inspiring prose can be you know not just for writers but for actors or directors or what any creatives it's like it's just it's just um that rush of great art you know, it gets you, um, it gets you inspired. Um, last question and then I'll let you go. Cause we're way over time, but, um, you mentioned McKee, uh, uh aspiring screenwriters books you would suggest, uh, are, are you a Blake Snyder guy? Are you a Robert McKee guy? Is there, is there anyone else, you, anything else in that ilk you would throw out as the, you have to read this book? I think, uh, be before the screenwriting of, of it all, people should just, everybody should read, Natalie Goldberg's writing down the bones. Mm -hmm. I think it's just such an inspiring book for anyone to just get out of their head. Um, writing, uh, whether it's keeping a list of random titles or writing longhand, literally all over the paper, not just on the line, but the lined paper, um, all kinds of exercises to get you out of your head and stories. That's just, that's just an awesome book. Um, but screenwriting book, I, you know, I, there, there was never really one that, that stuck with me. I, I couldn't, frankly, uh, candidly, I couldn't get through the McKee book. Um, I, but, I, but I also got a nine, yeah, I mean, I, I also got a 950 on my SATs. You know, I'll pretend like I know, you know, what the 
sequence one of midpoint such and such. I, I know I can feel what those are, but I don't outline that way. I do outline, but I don't think about, oh, I have to hit all these kind of mathematics. You're not, you're not worried about Truby's 22 beats or Sid Field's 3X structure? I mean, that's, is that... Exactly. I just, <laughs> I just can't, you know, I, I, and, I, and I completely respect anyone who does, but I think for me, since I was watching so much stuff since when I was a kid, I can kind of feel it. That's got me in a lot of trouble before, just in terms of starting to write a script like one would write a novel where you're following your fingers and inevitably by page 33 you find yourself completely fucked because you haven't thought it out. Um, but uh, now that I'm a bit older and I figured out, you know, what, uh, what's needed just in terms of the prep of setting out to setting, <laughs> setting sail to write a feature, I think I, I think I finally figured it out. I was a late bloomer for figuring out filmmaking technique as well. So, so it's yeah. all good. We all, we all, we all go our separate ways, our own ways. I was a late bloomer too, man. It's, it's, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's okay. Um, Hey, well, Josh, thank you so much for this conversation and for all the amazing uh, advice and all the amazing experience that you shared. Uh, What what do you have coming up next? I know you're currently in, uh, uh, tell me the title again. I just watched it last night. The Fawn movie. Oh yeah. Wounded Fawn, which is, which is a wild, wild movie that's on shutter. And um, what do you got coming up? What do you got coming up next? Anything on the horizon? Uh, a few things on the horizon. I can't talk about too many of them, except that I can say uh, Michael Kennedy, the writer of Blumhouse is freaky. He and I um, are uh, working on something. We have a script that we're just so excited about. Definitely in the horror comedy space um, where I want to push some supernatural horror. Yeah. Um, but it's such a great comedic vehicle as well. And then there's something in the vein of, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers that um, Aaron Horowitz of The Cleansing Hour wrote just such a brilliant script for um, that that we're taking out and we're super, super excited about. I think there's something kind of Coen Brothers-esque, but you can bring in Carpenter-esque The Thing-type horror, which Mm -hmm. would be really, really fun. So combining those two worlds. Um, with that script in particular, is super fun too. So whatever I do next, whatever whatever surprises me, I just know that I want to push the horror. You know, I want to I want to show people it's like okay, we're not just going to do this kind of buoyant, peppy thing. Let's see if we can let's see if we can push this a little bit and surprise folks because I like I like people not being able to necessarily pin me. Yeah, copy that. Uh, well, I am in the same same uh, vein when I work, so that's that's awesome to hear. And it all sounds amazing, dude. All right, well, thank you. And hey, guys, thank you for listening to this episode of The Dark Word. Uh, I really appreciate the support. I appreciate you being here. And until next time. Hey, guys, it's Philip again. I wanted to let you know that you can buy any of the books discussed on The Dark Word at The Book House, which is Book and Film Globe's independent bookstore. Go to thebookhousemilburn.com, that's M-I-L-L-B-U-R-N.com to shop online and support small independent booksellers. Or visit the actual store in Milburn, New Jersey, where you can buy books from all the authors we feature here on The Dark Word or the Book and Film Globe podcast. Audio Hopper.